God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you do turn uh, bones into armies. God, that you turn graves into gardens, that you make all of the change that we could ever possibly need in our lives. God, we thank you that, that it is true that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that is better than you. We can hold up our most precious thing and it just pales beside you. There is no money, there is no possession, there is no dream that we have that compares to you. God, we thank you that no matter how we come here this morning, whether we are on a mountaintop, whether we are having a sad day, that you are right here with us. That you don't just promise to meet us at the end, that you are right here today with us in whatever need we have. God, we thank you that you are the Lord of our life today as well as our Saviour for all eternity. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for choosing us to be your children Thank you for equipping us. Thank, thank you for showing us how to love one another. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to church. Uh, just take a seat for a, a moment. It won't be long. Don't get too comfortable. Um, so we have creche on right now. So if you have little ones up to kinder age, they can be out in creche already if you would like them to. Uh, we have kids ministry on a bit later. There will be a banner that goes up on the screen to tell you when to go out for that. And um, while I'm talking to you, you can be checking in on the Church Centre app. If you don't have the Church Centre app, make sure you have it for next week so you can do this. Um, also, there are new Connect... Well, are we calling these Connect cards? They're, they're cards. Um, in the back of the seat in front of you. So... Um, it is only half the story. You actually need a pen, so uh, you can be finding a pen. So while I'm talking to you, you can be filling these out. So we used to have a choice of three cards that you could use, um, but everything is now on the one card, which is beautiful. I think you'll agree. Um, so contact details, um, any information. If you want to take a next step in your journey, in your uh, faith, uh, then you can indicate that on there and you can pop that in the offering when it comes around. Um, so you can be preparing your offering, but we're not going to be taking that up quite yet. So, uh, right, just park that little thought for next time. Uh, I mean, for in a minute. Um, right, I'm reading the card and speaking at the same time. <sighs> All right, so um, what we would invite you to do now is we're going to have a little mingle time. So we're changing up the order of the service a little bit today. So if you're new today, especially, um, welcome online as well, by the way. Sorry, should have, should have said that. If you're new and you, you're not quite sure what's going to happen next, everyone is not quite sure what's going to happen next. So everyone's on the same, like a level playing field. So welcome if you're joining us online and we would like to include the Locksport crew down there as well. So they're having a little dry run in Locksport, so on the lowdown, but checking that the tech is all working down there. So good morning, Locksport. It's great to have you joining with us today. All right, now stand and you have five minutes just to chat with somebody. Try and find somebody you haven't talked to before. Good morning, good morning. Look at you chatty people. Did anybody meet someone new just now? Hands up if you met someone you haven't met before. A few of us. Hands up. Did you meet someone new? Yep. Fantastic. If you didn't meet someone new, I reckon you can meet someone new after the service. Because uh, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people here. And it's hard to get to know everyone, so why don't you do that? Fantastic. And it is exciting. We've got Locksport. I mean, I think there's five of them down in Locksport. Just give them a quiet wave. It's an unofficial first Sunday down there. We're not um, really meeting down there. We're just doing a test run, but hopefully they can see and hear us and um, are having a great morning together down there. Did anybody just get um, letterbox dropped with a... A little car wash slip. I did. Just appeared in my hand. So this Friday at five o'clock, if you've got a dirty car, I've got two. You can get a car wash for five dollars. That's slave labour. That's so cheap. So five dollars and then you could add a donation on top of that if you felt like that was not quite... I mean, wait to see how clean your car is afterwards. <laughs> Maybe dirtier. <clears throat> 
may not be, might be good, but uh, they're raising some money for their summer camp, which is coming up in January, so make sure support that. Five o'clock, what time will you be closing the shop, Brock? The car wash shop. About seven or eight o'clock? Eight o'clock. Don't come past, don't come past after eight o'clock. Um, make, there'll be a line, probably out in the highway. Five dollar car wash, fantastic. Um, speaking of youth, Brock and Ebony uh, held their first Youth Alpha this week. So they're running a little Youth Alpha on Wednesdays, which is fantastic. Eight or ten kids. Fantastic. So I'd be praying for that. Is that Wednesday after school? You're doing that. Fantastic. Be praying for that. Cool. Well, good morning. If it's your first time here, uh, a really warm welcome. Hope you're enjoying your time with us this morning and you can fill in one of those connect cards and let us know that you're, you're new. We'd love to connect with you. We are in week two of a series uh, on the Mount, looking at Jesus' famous sermon in Matthew 5 to 7. And last week, we laid some foundational thoughts. Uh, we looked at the Beatitudes or the blessings that Jesus um, talked about, and we, and we really talked about what the kingdom of, of God or the kingdom of heaven looks like. Um, it's holier than we think, and we don't measure up like we think. Um, Jesus sort of has this way of bothering everybody who hears him, that there's going to be something that makes you squirm, something that you go, oh, I don't like that, oh, I don't think I really enjoy that part of Jesus' teaching. And this morning, if you've read ahead, I mean, we're going to be talking murder, adultery, divorce, telling the truth, you picked a good Sunday, what could go wrong? Just don't throw anything at me, because it's Jesus' words I'm going to try to explain. Anyway, and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that Jesus, uh, the crowds were amazed or the crowds were astonished or astounded, um, that there was something amazing about his teaching because he taught in a way that um, was authoritative. So the the Jews, Matthew was uh, writing to a Jewish audience and so you've got that flavour through what is, what is being written here. And he's writing to a Jewish audience who have been following to the best and worst of their abilities um, the Torah, the laws of the Old Testament. Um, and Jesus comes along, especially this week, we're going to see this phrase a lot, you've heard it said, but I say. He's putting himself up alongside the Torah, up alongside the Holy Scriptures. It'd be like if someone came today and said, you've heard it written in the Bible, this, I say this. I mean, obviously, we're in a different time and the, the scripture, the canon is finished uh, and we're not adding to it, but it'd be like that. It'd be sort of like, what is this man talking about? How dare he? Like, but it's amazing. It's incredible. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Matthew 5, 17 to 37. It's quite a chunk, but we'll get through it. Trust me. It'll be good. All right, Matthew 5, 17 to 37. It'll be on the screen behind me, underneath me if you're online. It says this, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of these, least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're going for this morning. No. For true, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister, will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled with your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to court. Or your adversary adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge will to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you'll never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, 
everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by earth, because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. This is obviously before they had hairdressers and just checking you're listening. Okay, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Whew. Lord Jesus, we need your help this morning to understand your word and to hear your voice. And God, we pray that you would speak clearly to us. And God, you would point us towards you and your truth and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Icebergs. Ever seen an iceberg in real life? I've seen one on the Titanic, like the movie. That was real, wasn't it, that movie? I mean, it's a real event, but... Um, I don't know if you've ever seen photos of icebergs where they've tried to capture what's underneath. Um, but here's a couple of photos that I found. And they say that, I mean, you've heard maybe what's above the water is like 10% and what's below is 90%. There's no real, from my understanding, no real scientific sort of proportion it's, there's just a lot underwater that you don't see. If you're travelling on a boat, um, and it's quite hard to get photos like this, there's not many around, uh, where they show you what's underneath, because most of the time it's just so, like, wavy and choppy around the icebergs that you can't see through the water, um, and it's so dark underneath. And so the danger, of course, is that you're, if you're going on your boat, maybe you've got your tinny out and you've run into an iceberg, or in found yourself down near Antarctica, you got lost, um, you don't know what's underneath and you don't know what your boat will hit. Um, what you can see is just a small part of what's really there. And what's really there is so much more. You have no idea the dangers underneath. And I think this is a great picture of what Jesus is really talking about in these verses. Is that he's... He's using this idea of, you've heard it said, you've, you've seen the behaviour modification before, but I tell you, there's, there's a lot more that's going on. There's a lot more that's going on. What we see in others is only really behaviours. The deep motivations and values that drive these behaviours, we, really, we don't really know and we can't know. We can only begin to know our own and trust others when they tell us theirs. Even to a, a certain extent, our own motivations and values are hidden from ourselves. And Jesus knows this, and he's not interested in behaviour modification. He really wants to address the real issues and expose them and give a way forward. And so this is going to be our main... I'm going to come back to these two questions um, again and again through this morning's message. This idea of it's, it's, it's not about what we can get away with, but what can I run away from? Not can I, what can I get away with, but what can I run away from? Because I think what we're going to see is, and what I think Christians have done time and again, is we, we want to know where's the line? What's, where's the sin start? And it's the wrong question. And, it, and it's really the question that Jesus is trying to drive us away from. He's, he's trying to drive us away from this, like, don't try to work out what's right and wrong, but instead work out what, what you need to run away from and what you need to run towards instead. So let's have a look. Verse 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. When Jesus says this law and prophets, it's sort of, it would have been known 
and, and, and understood as the Scriptures, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then all the, the prophets after that. And all the prophets would have been all the narrative stories as well, included in a different sort of order. But Jesus, when he said that, the, the, the hearers would have gone, oh, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's come to fulfill the Scriptures, come to fulfill the Law and the Prophets. The Torah and has the, the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up to Sinai and gets the, the tablets, writes down the Ten Commandments, comes down, and, and, and that's the beginning of the laws. And it's not law as in, um, like what we think law today is. It's, it's the commands of God uh, that he's really talking about. There's 603 more commands or laws after those first 10. 613 all up through the first five books of the Old Testament together. And Jesus is coming to fulfill the law and the prophets. God's people in Old Testament times, when they got the Old Testament law, how did they go at fulfilling and keeping the Old Testament law? Pretty terribly, right? I mean, they spent centuries and centuries just failing and failing and failing of having bad kings and leaders lead them into failure as well. And then the prophets come along and they, they look back at God's people and the way that God's people did and they, they said, wow, it's just, they didn't do very well. But there is something coming. There is something coming. And Jesus comes along and he talks like he owns the place, like he puts himself up in this place of authority and he puts his commands alongside this Torah. He didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. He didn't want to do away with them, but rather he says he comes along to fulfill the law. And what does, I mean, that's a nice statement, Jesus, but what, does, what do you mean by you came to fulfill the law? Hands up if you've learnt a musical instrument before in your past. All right, I'm just, music team, just keep your hands up nice and high. <laughs> if you've learnt a musical instrument before, you might know that um, your teacher began you with scales. You would run, if you learn piano, you'd just practice your one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, you know, fingering of the scales, if you learnt the clarinet, same sort of, you would learn the patterns of the scales. And your teacher, or your, um, the group lesson you're in, the, the teacher might say, just practice your scales. I want you to practice. And if you're a kid and you're learning an instrument, you know that scales is, this is not why I wanted to learn music. Like, I want to learn the drums so I can just, like, rock out. I don't want to learn paradiddles and rudiments. I want, to, I want to learn the fun stuff. I want to learn how to play something amazing. Scales over and over. But eventually, when you practice the scales enough, the language of music is learned. Or maybe you've learned a, a, a different, a second language before. And it's the same sort of, you, you start learning all the boring words first. But once the language of music is learned and scales are no longer needed to play, sorry, scales are no longer needed to play or to explore melodies, to make music. The scales aren't obsolete. They aren't abolished. They aren't done away with. They still matter, but their purpose has been fulfilled because now the, the world of music has opened up and the ability to make music has opened up. And I think this is part of what Jesus is talking about when he says he's come to fulfill the law. One of the prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, he says this. He says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, that they failed. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I'll put my teaching within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbour or brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I'll forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. The prophets look back and forward at God's people and their failure to keep the commandments. And as they look forward, they see that there is a new, there is a better way coming. 
And as we look at the rest of Matthew 5, we begin to see what this fulfillment means. It gets to the heart, the deep issue, what that underlying motivations and values are that then exhibit themselves in behaviours. The problem is not the behaviour, but it's the heart. It's the thoughts and motivations behind the behaviours that lead to the bad behaviours. We'll quickly look at 18 to 20. For truly I tell you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter of one stroke of a letter will pass away until... So, I mean, some translation, translations might say dot or tittle, and it's part, partly to do with the, the Hebrew writing. It's just tiny little strokes of letters, sort of like the English language, like a, an F can be turned into... A, a capital F can be turned into an E just with one stroke. And it's the same sort of thing as what's happening in Hebrew. Jesus is saying the, the detail and what is written is important. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever it does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For truly, for, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is saying, unless like, your ability to keep the law is better, surpasses the, the most religious person you know or can think of or can imagine, you've got no chance. And, and basically what he's saying is you've got no chance. You've got no chance. Your righteousness is not going to do that. We're going to come back to that verse. Because I think that lays the context for the next trickier bits that we're about to jump into. So let's have a look at these four. I think, uh, and there's a couple more next week as well. But this is my interpretation here of, I think, what Jesus is doing. It's not an exhaustive list of laws and rules and morality, is it? It's really just a selection. Jesus is just, he's, he's laid the, the, the groundwork of the Beatitudes and said, you need to come with like a humble spirit, a broken, a broken spirit and, and understand how sinful you are so that you can receive mercy and grace. And I've come to fulfill the law and, and this is how I've come to fulfill the law. This is an example of how the law is supposed to work out. This is what the law is supposed to achieve. It's supposed to bring about this new kingdom, this better way of living, this better way of thinking. And he gives some examples of murder, adultery, divorce, and lying. The heart issues behind them, and they're complex issues. And we don't have time to really do these justice in their, in their complexity this morning. And even um, you could spend hours on just on each one of these, and you'd still maybe be scratching your head a little bit. But Jesus is going to say how the law is fulfilled. He's, he's giving these examples. And... The other thing Jesus is doing here is he's using hyperbole. He's, he's sort of exaggerating points um, to, to illustrate the point that he's trying to get to. Otherwise, at the altar today, we're chopping off limbs and gouging out our eyes. Um, if we're going to take this literally, we, we have to see that there's hyperbole here. There's things that Jesus is stretching out to make a point. I mean, it, I think it's obvious that he is doing that. Jesus is... Um, through these examples, going to point to the Pharisees and us away from this question of what can I get away with? Where's the line? What is a sin? And rather have our, ourselves ask, what can I run away from? What things should I just turn away from and not entertain, not go, not go near? First one, murder. You've heard it said, to our ancestors, do not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You think the other ones that are coming are hard? I mean, I think he starts with the hardest. Has anyone ever been angry at someone? <laughs> I mean, no, we're, none of us sin here, do we? Whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. I mean, Jesus doesn't mince words here, does he? He's straight to the point and it's dire consequences. Hellfire. Don't murder, Jesus starts with. And he doesn't say that's wrong. He's, he affirms it by the way he talks. But it's like he says, like, well done. You haven't murdered someone? Fantastic. That's not really the point. 
of that law. That's not really the issue. The issue starts with your anger, with your insults, with your ability to look at someone with contempt, with your ability to look that that um, some translations you might see where it says uh, whoever insults his brother or sister, you might in your translation might say whoever says uh, raka or something like it gives you the, the that sort of Aramaic or Greek word that he's using there, um, and it, and it means that you're saying to someone you're you're a nothing, you're empty, you're you're worthless, and so it goes from he and he, you can see the way he builds you angry at someone, then you see them as nothing, and then you call them a fool or an idiot. And then maybe that leads eventually to murder. And you can see that Jesus, by talking this way, says, we could get away with murder altogether if we dealt with anger as soon as it came up. Like the, what gets someone to murder someone actually starts way back here when you have that feeling of like, oh, that person, what they did, what they said, what they didn't say, what they didn't do, how they looked, how they looked at me, how they looked at that person, what top they wore, whatever it is that causes you, how they didn't turn their blinker on at the roundabout, like whatever it is that causes you to, the heat to, to rise in your heart. Jesus, that's the issue. That's the issue right there. That's what we need to do away with. Jesus is comparing to what is above to what is below. What is above murder, that's the, that's the end result of what starts with just anger or pride or contempt towards another human. When we elevate ourselves above someone else and see them as nothing, with anger or pride, Jesus, in Jesus' mind, it's the same as murder. It's the same thing. He puts it up there as the same thing. It's not just about the actions, but it's about what's underneath. Murder would never happen if anger was dealt with at its inception. Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. Not what can I get away with, but what can I run away from? This is about your brother and your adversary. You know, Jesus, in these verses, he talks, first he talks about being angry at your brother or sister, like those in the kingdom, those in the house of God, those that are Christians, those that maybe... Um, leaders that you've had that have failed you, those Christians that you thought would be better than they were but failed you, but also those outside the faith, also those that have just wronged you or you've wronged them. You come into worship and you remember and, and God says, it's going to inhibit the way you worship me. It's going to cause you to get, to get distracted. Deal with it at its inception. It's easy to deal with at the start. The more it grows the harder it is to deal with. The next one he deals with is adultery. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Well done. You haven't committed adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. If your hand, cut it off, throw it away. Adultery. Again, not just the action, but the heart. The law points to a deeper issue. The physical action of committing adultery or just the movie that plays on in your mind. Jesus' mind, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter because the dehumanizing of someone else is what Jesus is getting to. I think in our culture... In our Western culture, sex is celebrated and not in a healthy way. I mean, the Bible celebrates sex. Have you read, have you read Song of Solomon before? Like, the Bible celebrates sex. Sex is a beautiful gift from God. But in our Western culture, sex is celebrated in a way that's maybe unhealthy or without the boundaries in which it really flourishes almost with no regard to its context. And Jesus knows this is not what is best. I think our, our sex, uh, our sexuality is sort of like fire. I've got some pictures here. Fire is a, a wonderful thing, but also a horrible thing. And it's all about its environment. 
It's all about the context in which the fire is. And contained inside a candle or a fireplace or a fire pit, it's a great thing. It brings warmth, light, romance, if you're that way inclined, aromas, if you've got a nice candle, but also devastation and destruction if it's not contained. And what Jesus is doing here is saying, sex outside its intended environment is an awful thing. It leads to devastation. In its right environment, it's a beautiful thing. Outside its right environment, it leads to devastation and destruction. And I want you to also notice what Jesus does here in this adultery and divorce sections. Who is he talking to? One, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to those that are decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, then some of these teachings will go, you might not agree with or go, oh, I can't follow that. Don't worry about that yet. Just work out what Jesus means to you first. And if you want to follow him, and then you can wrestle with this. He's talking to his disciples, but then he's also just talking to the men in the audience, isn't he? Listen, like I'm, I'm not making this up. I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the crowds that were there, it's little doubt that there were women in the audience hearing these words. So it's not like he's just talking, he's just got the guys away for a guys retreat and giving this teaching. No, it's like he's teaching the whole crowd and then he goes, all right, guys, I want to talk to you for a moment about something. And it's not because women can't lust or can't commit adultery that's because of the issues that were going on in the first century and still are prevalent today i mean you only have to look at the statistics of sexual abuse in our society and culture ever and who's the predominant offenders men it does happen but like the issue is predominantly overwhelmingly with the men and so he's saying, guys, this is an area that will trap you and destroy not just your life, but someone else's. And the kingdom of God is a safe place for women. It's a safe place for, for girls to walk around and not feel like they're going to be subject to a long gaze, uncomfortable with you, some sort of weird movie playing in your mind. And the multi-billion dollar industry of pornography is destroying lives. So cut off your hand and gouge out your eye. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, have you ever seen someone who doesn't have an, a limb, like who's an amputee? You've seen them before. Or you've had kids around and they've, you've seen an, an amputee together. And they, they ask the question like, what happened? It's so obvious, isn't it? And I think that's partly what Jesus is saying. It's like, it should be so obvious to those around you. You've cut this area off of your life. Not what can I get away with, but what can I run away from? Some of you guys, you need to get rid of your smartphone and get a dumb phone. Because that, honestly, it's, it's too much for you. You need to go to extreme lengths to cut this off. Anyway, we could talk about that for a long time. Not what can I get away with, but what can I run away from? Divorce. It's also said whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, to the men he addresses. Because really in the context of the, of the hearers of these words, Jesus is elevating the status of women. You've got to hear it through the first century listeners, where a man in this time and this day could just say to his wife, I want to divorce you for, because you didn't, you burnt my breakfast this morning. And because of that, that's it, cutting you off. And Jesus is saying, you, and the women have no legal standing, no ability to, to do the same. It wasn't like equal, they could do the same thing to their husband if their husband didn't mow the grass or take the bins out or put their clothes in the hamper properly or shut the door or, or whatever 
things that you might not do properly. Jesus is elevating the status of women in the marriage relationship and saying to the men, you can't take advantage of your position or inflict abuse or your will on your wife. A woman who was divorced didn't have many options left with her life. She may be able to move back in with her family if she wasn't a financial liability. But if she was a financial liability, I mean, the only thing, the only profession that she could really step into was that of prostitution. And so part of what Jesus is saying here is that when you divorce your wife, you're going to cause her to commit adultery, is that this, it doesn't end well. There's not a good outcome for her in this time and the context in which he's saying. He was trying to elevate the status of marriage amongst the hearers. Increase the, the awareness of the covenant that, that you're making when you enter into a marriage. Because God's covenant with us, God's covenant with his people, is paralleled or it's, it's used as an example, marriage is used as an example for that covenant relationship. And what does God do when we mess up towards him? He doesn't divorce us. But he holds that covenant in high regard. And so what Jesus is saying is we need to hold marriage in the highest regard. The highest regard we can. And it's a complex issue, I understand. And I don't think it's as black as white as you can never get divorced. I don't think that's what, again, that's not what Jesus is trying to say here. Not what can I get away with, but what can I run away from? The kingdom should be safe from abuse, control, manipulation. My needs aren't more important than your needs, is what Jesus is saying. God's covenant with us is the covenant as Christians we base our marriages on. And thanks be to Jesus, he doesn't walk away from us when we mess up. He moves towards us when we mess up. While we were still sinners, it says, Christ died for us. Romans 5. Then verse 33, again, you've heard it said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. I tell you, don't take an oath by anything. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. So you heard it said, um, don't break your oath. Now Jesus is saying, don't make oaths. What's he talking about? Well, what was happening was people were saying, well, I make an oath on Jerusalem, or I make an oath on my head. Like, some of these things, you're like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, what are you talking about? And, and we do the same sort of, like, I promise on so-and-so's grave, or I, I promise by this person's life. It's like, and what we're doing is that it's, it's like we're borrowing someone else's character to prop up our own shortcomings. It's like, I know that when I say I won't do it, like, sometimes I'm not trustworthy, so I'll borrow someone else's character or someone else or somewhere else that you might think, well, they wouldn't break that, that person's character instead of just letting my yes be yes and my no be no. Again, it's, it's a simple, this one's a very simple sort of idea and it's, you shouldn't get too confused by it, I don't think, that Jesus is saying, when you say you're going to do something, do it. Be a trustworthy person. Be a person of your word. Be a person who says what they're going to do and does what they're going to say. What they say they will do. Not what they're going to say, what they have said. Don't borrow from someone else's character. Prop up your own shortcomings. How lightly can I use my words? Not what can I get away with, but what can I run away from? I want to come back to this verse in verse 20, Matthew 5 verse 20. Before Jesus launches into these, you've heard it said, I say this, you've heard it said, I say this, you've heard it said, I say this. He says this. It's like he's, he's setting us all up to fail. Because he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never, never get into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus is setting up these standards so that we'll see how holy and perfect the kingdom of God really is. It's far more perfect, far more holy than you could ever imagine. 
And your ability to keep the laws and the statutes and the way God wants you to live, even when you think you're a good Christian, Jesus is going to look at your life and go, yeah, but what about this area? What about this? What about this? He's going to continue to do that until you understand that you can't do it, that you need him. That you must turn away from all this and turn towards him. Remember what it said in Jeremiah 31? It said in in verse 33 and 34, Instead, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. I'll put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbour or brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sins. The new heart is a result of the forgiveness and grace that Jesus offers. Forgiveness and no more remembering of sins is your pathway, your gateway to this new heart, a new way of living, a new way of behaving. You don't work towards the cross, we work from the cross. We work from forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, that one, Jesus, died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that all who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Therefore, in verse 17 it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. What's the answer to all our shortcomings? Jesus is. His grace is. His forgiveness is. You see, when we ask the question, what can I get away with? Where's the line? We are facing the very thing that Jesus is asking us to turn away from. This problem of lust. Where's the line? What's, what constitutes lust? We're we're facing the wrong issue. We should be turning away from that completely and turning towards Jesus. What not what can I what when we say what can I run away from, we turn and see Jesus standing there in his perfection, in his holiness, and we run towards him. Not what can I get away with, but what can I want run away from and who am I running towards? Who am I running towards? I'm going to get the, the, the band's going to come back up and we're going to worship. One more verse in 1 Corinthians 15 I want to share. And this is one of my personal favourites because I think it um, helps encapsulate this, this idea so well. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56 to 57, it says, this, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. What gives sin its power? The law. is this constant attention on what's right and wrong. Where's the line? Where should I stop? When we constantly are focused on what's right and wrong, That powers the sin. Instead, thanks be to God, he gives us freedom through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to change our values and our motives towards his. When our attention is on the law and um, on Jesus' fulfillment of law, it's intended to change our heart towards him. No longer how do I measure up, but thank you, Jesus, for measuring up for me. I'm turning from the sin and running towards you instead. And so this morning, I don't know where you find yourself before Jesus. If some of these words were confronting for you, then I think that's good. I think partly that's what Jesus wanted. So he wants to confront us in our sins that will turn towards him in a deeper, more committed way. And I'd love to pray for you this morning if you feel like you need to turn from something and turn towards him. 
Jesus' message is not intended to bring guilt or shame on your life, but rather awareness of freedom and forgiveness. And so no matter what you're facing this morning, I want you to know, and I want to pray this over you, that you are free and forgiven in Jesus. That you get to live from the cross. You don't have to work your way towards it. That he took everything on the cross so that you didn't have to. And he gives you a new heart. Can we stand together? Lord Jesus, this morning we come before you with humility, with surrender, fully aware, God, that we don't measure up in so many ways. But God, we thank you that you give us freedom and forgiveness. That you went to the cross so that we didn't have to. And you give us a new heart and we get to run towards you without the burden of sin. And God, I pray this morning for anyone who is just being made aware of something in their life that they need to turn away from. And God, I pray that through the power of the cross, through the power of Jesus, they might be able to do that and run towards you with greater conviction, greater passion. Lord God, we love you so much and we're so so grateful for all that you've done for us. So grateful for your love and your grace and your mercy on our lives so that we can extend it to others. Would you help us to worship you with all our hearts this morning, surrender our whole lives to you this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. God, thank you. God, thank you that you are the Lord of our heart. God, we know that one day that thing really will happen, that that every knee will bow and confess that you are Lord. And you've got a work for us to do. You've got a work for us to do in sharing the hope that we have in you. We want everyone to come with us. God, thank you for equipping us. Thank you for this incredible time where we get to come together to worship you, to worship our Lord to say that you are Lord in our life. God, I pray that we, that we take away from today everything that you need us to take away, that we will have our hearts right with you. If there's relationships that we need to fix, if there's things that we need to run away from, God, I pray that we take this moment right now before we bring our offering to get our hearts right with you that we commit to doing those things, that we commit to fixing what we need to fix, that we commit to running away from whatever we need to run away from because nothing is worth keeping us away from you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for continuing to love us. Thank you for running after us when we try to run away from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take a seat again for a moment. So connect cards, hopefully you have these ready. Hopefully you have uh, filled in things on, on the back there and are ready to pot them in the offering buckets, which will start to come around right now. So if we can get that happening, that would be great. Uh, so just a couple of things to highlight from the newsletter before we leave this morning. Uh, like we said, we've got our um, Locksport crew meeting on the down low in Locksport this morning. Hopefully all that has gone well, just trialling the tech ready for the launch which is in two Sundays time so not next Sunday the one after uh, we will have Locksport and Yarram running um, and streaming our service which is fabulous uh, so we can be praying for that um, praying for the communities in both of those locations that, that this will not be the best kept secret in either of those locations that people will come to know that there is a vibrant church that meets on a Sunday and that they can be a part of that so be praying for all of that um, everything else you need to know um, about church life is in your newsletter. If you don't get a newsletter, it's because we don't have your information. Uh, so make sure that we have that. Um, there's lots of events in there, lots of social things uh, that we encourage you to join in with because that's how you connect with your church family and they will be fun. And also the sales show cleanup 
This is a time where you can actually connect with people. It's the 7 a.m. start, which, I mean, that's not fun on a Saturday, but you will have fun while you're doing it, I promise you. And you heard it here first. If you turn up and help us clean up at the sale show, I'll be there, Pastor Steve will be there, and we will shout you coffee afterwards, however many of you choose to come. There you go. If there's a cafe that can fit us all in, we'll go there. Um, All right, so, yeah, if you can just let Pastor Steve know if you're planning to join in with that so that he can tell you uh, everything you need to know, that would be great. Creative team lunch is after the service this morning, so if you're part of the creative team, you should stay uh, because this is important for you. Or if you want to be, yeah, there you go. So, um, yeah, if you're one of those people that raise their hands that you have learnt an instrument in the past and you would like to be part of this uh, creative team, we would love to hear from you. And, yeah, stay for lunch. You'll find out everything that you need to know. Um, And just on that, that, uh, talking about connecting as a church family, I've just had, like, little vision after vision today uh, being part of this church from early in the morning when when we all get here way before you guys um just the breadth of who we have in this room um as part of this church we have the youngest which would be grace over there who's just a few weeks old and then we have some older members the oldest person that we have coming along is 96 and we've got i reckon we've got everybody in between um I'm not sure that we've got a 93. We've got a no, I haven't got a 95. You know, there are churches. That's my point. We have a massive family, and we have churches in Victoria that would give a lot to have what we have here. And it is really, really special. It just uh, really has hit me a few times this morning how special this is, what we've got here, and how much I love our church. Um, So come along to our social things, don't miss out. Don't miss out on being part of our family is what I'm saying. So anyway, go in peace this morning. Um, Consider what Pastor Brad has shared with us and join in with everything that's on. Thanks.